Hi everyone, this is Boundless Vancouver and my name is Chelsea Marsh and today we're going to unpack uh, the authority to forgive sins, um, Jesus' authority to forgive sins in Mark's Gospel chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. So reading from the ESV Bible translation. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Before we jump into our text today, let's briefly remember what's been happening in Mark's Gospel until now. Chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel is a string of success stories. Jesus calls the first disciples to follow him, and they do so immediately. He preaches, and people flock to hear him. He heals the sick and exercises authority over the powers of darkness. Jesus' popularity is increasing, and he has been moving freely throughout all Galilee without opposition, preaching and casting out demons. Everywhere Jesus goes, there is a response to his person and his presence. In our text today, Mark 2, 1-12, there are three responses to the person and presence of Jesus we're going to look at. The four men and the paralytic man make up one response. Then we'll look at the response of the scribes. And lastly, the response of those gathered in Jesus' home. Now I invite you to imagine this scene with me as it's unfolding. Jesus has just returned from his travels around Galilee and news has spread that he's home. We're told that many were gathered in his home. We can imagine neighbor and strangers, disciples and religious teachers, Rich and poor all gathered together at Jesus' house. The gathering is so large that people are spilling out of the house. Jesus is preaching the word, and everyone wants to hear what he has to say. Then five men arrive on the scene. Four of them are carrying one man, a paralytic, on his mat. We're not told who these men are, where they've come from, or how they heard about Jesus. We are told that they couldn't get near Jesus because of the crowd. So they turned around and left. Just kidding. No, what does this group of men decide to do? They decide to carry the paralytic man up to the roof of Jesus' house. To then remove 
sections of the roof above Jesus and the crowd and lower the paralyzed man on his mat down through the roof so that he's front and center in the presence of Jesus and in the presence of this crowd. Now, I wonder how you would regard the actions of these men. Would you say that their decision is safe, wise, and necessary? Or would you say that they're acting rather reckless and irresponsible? As I reflect on the actions of these men, I was impacted by a few things. Here's a group of men who realize that they can't get near Jesus, that there are barriers keeping them from being in his presence. But instead of seeing the barriers and giving up, turning back, or even saying, we'll try again tomorrow, these men decide to do whatever it takes to bring the paralyzed man into the presence of Jesus. They were willing to persevere in overcoming obstacles so that the man they were bringing to Jesus could encounter Jesus. And I wonder, are there obstacles in our lives that have the potential to keep us from encountering the presence of Jesus? And are we willing to persevere in overcoming obstacles so that we can bring others to Jesus? As I imagined the scene, I started to wonder what this experience would have been like for the paralyzed man. We don't know if he was opposed to the four men carrying him up to the roof or if it was his idea. And I wonder how he must have felt having to rely on others to bring him to Jesus. This makes me think about my journey of coming to Jesus and how it hasn't been a solo journey. I can think of many people who have persevered in journeying with me, helping to bring me closer to the person and presence of Jesus. The Christian life was never intended to be a solo journey. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in his book, Life Together, the Christian needs their brother and sister again and again when they become uncertain and discouraged. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother or sister. His own heart is uncertain, his brother's is sure. And that also clarifies the goal of all Christian community. They meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. Christian brotherhood and sisterhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. In our text today, we see five men journeying together towards Jesus, seeking to be in his presence. And how does Jesus respond to these men? Mark tells us that Jesus saw their faith. Now we might ask the question, whose faith did Jesus see? Was it the faith of the four men, the faith of the four men and the paralyzed man, or the faith of those gathered in Jesus' house? This isn't revealed to us, but what is revealed is how Jesus responds to the faith he sees. So I invite you again to imagine this scene with me. Jesus stops preaching to a house full of people so that he can focus his attention on one person in the room, the paralyzed man. And I wonder how this moment must have felt for this man as he lay at Jesus' feet. I wonder what he would have been thinking and feeling. 
Maybe he was thinking that Jesus would be angry at him for interrupting his preaching. Or maybe he was feeling guilty that Jesus' roof was now broken. And what about the crowd gathered in Jesus' house? I imagine them watching and waiting silently, holding their breath as they wonder how Jesus will respond. And then, in the presence of everyone, Jesus addresses the paralyzed man with a profound word, Son. For Jesus to use the word Son reflects his love and compassion towards the paralyzed man laying before him. For Jesus, this man isn't a problem to be solved, but a person to be loved and known. With this one word, Jesus affirms to the man laying at his feet that he sees him, loves him, and has compassion on him. This is what happens when we encounter the person and presence of Jesus. He reveals who we are as beloved sons and daughters of God. But Jesus doesn't stop there because not only do we need to know who we are, we need to know who Jesus is. And so after addressing the paralyzed man as son, Jesus says four surprising words. Your sins are forgiven. This is the first time in Mark's gospel where Jesus tells someone their sins are forgiven. And what's surprising about this is that the man hadn't even asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins. So again, I invite you to imagine this with me. The paralyzed man has heard about a man who's been traveling around Galilee, teaching the word with authority, healing the sick, and casting out demons. His friends also have heard about Jesus, that there's a man who has the power and authority to heal physical conditions of sickness and disease. So the five of them decide to seek out the person in presence of Jesus at his home in Capernaum. They're all hoping that Jesus will heal their friend just like the stories they've heard. But instead of saying what they think Jesus would say, which is, get up, take up your mat, and walk, Jesus surprises everyone by saying, son, your sins are forgiven. And here, Jesus reveals something essential about who he is and who we are. Jesus is revealing that he sees beyond the physical condition of a person and their external circumstances, and he sees the heart. And what Jesus sees in the heart of every person is our need for forgiveness, our need to have a right relationship with God. We can assume that the paralytic man didn't seek Jesus that day to receive forgiveness. Rather, he was seeking Jesus for his physical healing. But what Jesus reveals is that the paralyzed man had a more pressing need than a physical healing, and that was the forgiveness of his sins. This makes me think of trying to explain to a child the difference between a need and a want, and that as an adult, I know there are many things I seek because I want them, not because I need them. I think this can be true in our relationship with Jesus also. I wonder how often. We seek Jesus because we want our wants met rather than seeking Jesus to know him. Or perhaps we, like the paralytic man, have sought Jesus for what we think we need, and then Jesus surprises us and reveals what we truly need, which is to be in right relationship with God. Now, Jesus himself teaches us to pray, give us our daily bread. And so there is an asking of Jesus, a freedom to express our wants, needs, and desires in the presence of Jesus 
but that isn't wrong. But I wonder, do we take the time to notice our heart's posture in our asking and in our coming to Jesus? And how do we respond to Jesus when he doesn't give us what we want or ask for? How do we respond when the daily bread Jesus gives us is different from what we think it should be? And are we willing to trust that Jesus knows what we need? Mark doesn't tell us how the paralytic man responds to Jesus for giving him of his sins, but we are told how the scribes respond. And their response foreshadows the growing opposition Jesus will face from the religious rulers as he continues to announce and reveal who he is. Mark 2, 6-7 reads, Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is the first instance in Mark's gospel where we see resistance to the person and presence of Jesus. An essential belief of the Jewish faith was that only God could forgive sins. According to Jewish teaching, even the Messiah could not forgive sins. For a mere man to claim to forgive sins was to insult God. That was blasphemy, and the penalty was death by stoning. The scribe's response to Jesus is one of questions and accusations. It makes me wonder if Jesus had simply said to the paralytic, get up, take up your mat, and walk, would the scribes have responded towards Jesus in the same way? Would they have been less threatened or have less accusations towards Jesus if he only dealt with the man's physical condition and not matters of his heart? Even though the scribes don't say anything aloud, Jesus knows how they're responding towards him in their hearts, and so he engages them with a question of his own. Immediately, Jesus said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? Jesus confronts the thinking of the religious leaders and challenges them to consider who has greater authority, the one who forgives sins or the one who heals the body. Before they respond, Jesus continues, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Jesus just demonstrated to a house full of people that he is both the authority to forgive sins and the authority to heal the body. By healing the paralytic man of his condition, Jesus says he is verifying his claim that he has the authority to forgive sins. And on this, William Barclay comments, On the scribe's own stated beliefs, the man could not be cured unless he was forgiven. He was cured, therefore he was forgiven. Therefore, Jesus' claim to forgive sin must be true. Jesus must have left a completely baffled set of legal experts, and worse, he must have left them in a baffled rage. Here was something that must be dealt with. If this went on, all orthodox religion would be shattered and destroyed. In this incident, Jesus signed his own death warrant, 
and he knew it. This brings us to look at the final response to the person and presence of Jesus. The response of the crowd gathered in Jesus' house that day. Mark tells us that after they witnessed the paralytic man get up and walk out of Jesus' house, that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. The response of the crowd towards the person and presence of Jesus is one of praise and worship of God. So in conclusion, what does it mean for us today that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins? I want to share a story from uh, just yesterday as in preparing to share today and uh, just praying through the day and giving the Lord opportunity to speak to me and just listening to him and, you know, um, waiting on him to, you know, is this Lord what you will have for us uh, tomorrow? And in the midst of doing housework with our family yesterday and, and just thinking about and praying about sharing this morning, uh, my eight-year-old son kept coming in and out of the room asking me how to spell different words. And um, finally, he, he brings me his drawing book and he's written um, these words at the top and, and he's drawn a picture as well. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, the Lord is so good because he was the savior for the world. He was so good. Why? Because he was the Savior. Jesus is the one. And in the midst of housework and family life and, and praying and listening to Jesus and planning uh, to share with you today, my eight-year-old son, just Jesus just spoke to me through how, what he put on my son's heart. And just that's the message. Jesus is the one Savior. He is the one who has authority to forgive us of our sins. He's the one who has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That through his perfect life and his sacrificial death on the cross, Jesus has made a way for us to stand forgiven and to be in right relationship with God. And Jesus is so willing and wanting to extend his grace and forgiveness to us as we see captured in this encounter today between the paralytic man and Jesus. And so I'm just going to close this time together uh, with a word of prayer. Jesus, we look to you. And thank you that uh, when we come into your presence, uh, you don't see problems that need fixing, uh, but you see people who you love. You see sons and daughters. And so as we each come into your presence in this coming week, I pray, Jesus, that you would reveal um, more of who you are to us and that you would remind us that we are your children, that you have made a way for us to stand forgiven before God, and that you invite us um, into uh, this growing relationship with you um, that is founded in who you are. And so I just thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, what you have accomplished, and that you have made a way for us to stand forgiven before God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.